0: Welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is episode number 24, and this is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, pastor of Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. And it is my desire today just to kind of have a follow-up conversation uh, from the last episode on uh, this ongoing issue of Um, racial disparity, quote-unquote white privilege, Um, what are some of the other buzzwords that we're looking at. Um, You know, you can include critical race theory in that. You could include um, all of the stuff that's going on right now. It seems like so there are so many different arguments and there are so many different buzzwords that it's really hard to have a good conversation because if you say one wrong word, or if you say one, you know, buzzword from the other side, eh, you get zapped and then nobody continues to listen. And so, um, I just want to start out by saying last week it was an unfiltered conversation. It It was just me sitting there talking. It's the same pretty much today, but I do have my Bible in front of me and I got a couple quotes that I'm going to share with you. Um, and I said, I said a couple things that were, were not quite true. were not quite accurate, uh, specifically on, you know, how, um, exactly how schools are funded and such, such. And I knew I would because I was, um, stepping into areas that I am not an expertise in and, uh, forgive me for that. Um, and, and I've, uh, but I'm, I, I want to continue this conversation. I want to push into this conversation. I had, um, several messages and emails and questions and, dialogue concerning some of the stuff I've talked about, and um, I kind of want to start out with just a definition, um, and maybe not a, maybe not a definition of racism, but a definition of the sin behind racism, and it is called partiality. That's how the Bible refers to it. I'm going to start by reading James chapter 2. Um, Starting in verse one here, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now that word partiality means to favor, to, you know, to have a different response to, to not be equitable, to um, treat someone differently based upon well, it could be anything really. It could be the color of the skin. It could be the car that they drive. It could be the clothes that they wear. It could be how much money they have in the bank, who they voted for, um, any um, anything like that. So let me just keep reading. For if a man—here he, specifically they're going to be talking about the sin of partiality and the rich versus the poor. Romans talks about the sin of partiality between ethnicities or cultures or, or races uh, and religions— um, here, let me continue in verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one, okay, see, there's partiality. You're paying attention to the one who wears fine clothing, and you say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or You sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? and become judges with evil thoughts. So here we have the sin of partiality showing itself and someone comes in and they look rich. And so I'm going to give them preferential treatment. I'm going to give them a better seat than someone who looks poor. All right. Um, And then Paul goes on, or James, I'm sorry, goes on to say, listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has?" not promise to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court are not they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? <clears throat> verse 8. if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. you are doing well but if you show partiality, you are committing sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as though who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, so here he's saying if you show partiality you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, in our everyday life I think it's very easy to commit the sin of partiality to judge people based upon how they look, how they dress, the color of their skin. And in some circles that would they would say, "Hey, that's not sin. That's just human nature. Hey, that's just common sense." Let me give you a personal example. Last year, my truck was broken into a couple different times. Uh, some valuables were stolen. I bought cameras for my house um, my I had all my bike my family's bikes on the back of my van going on vacation and two very expensive bikes got stolen and then the cameras on my house caught um, people breaking in to uh, my house trying to pry open my windows and getting onto my porch and stolen an iPad we had on the porch and we're trying to literally pry open my windows and get into my house. Now, this was a, young, a ring of young black juveniles that were really terrorizing the Quad Cities um, all last year until the police started cracking, really cracking down on them and not putting them in juvie or, or not letting them out of ju- juvenile detention. Now, my neighborhood was going crazy because they could, my neighbor's, uh, car got stolen out of his garage i mean we were having a ton of problems if you left your car open at all they were gonna they were gonna break in and steal now i'm i'm seeing all this on video we're catching it over and over and over these young black um, um men mainly um trying to break into our stuff everybody's catching it on video everybody got cameras we couldn't do anything about it And what did that do in my heart? Well, it made me angry. It made me bitter. It made me frustrated. um, And the sin of partiality, or I could say racism, began to rise to the surface. So that when I saw an African-American young man walking in my neighborhood, I immediately looked and said, in my mind, what's he doing? I probably, I might have, if he would have been aware, I might have gave him an ugly look. I made a, I might have really given him an eye and just like looking him up and down and trying to see what's this kid doing, what's this guy doing. Um, and, and most of the, that was in my heart um, towards him. He might not have been aware of it, but maybe he was. And I think I was showing the sin of partiality. I think I was showing the sin of racism. Now, on top of that, we have a Facebook page in my neighborhood and a, an older lady posted on our uh, neighborhood page. What's this boy doing? He's looking in garages. He looks suspicious. I just called the police. And it was a 10-year-old African-American boy who lives in my neighborhood who was looking for friends to play with. Now, some people might say, well, that's just common sense. She's just t- trying to take care of her neighborhood. I think it's showing the sin of partiality. I think it's judging a person based upon they fit a profile and they look a certain way and james would tell us that the christian must not commit or be privy to or be complicit in the sin of partiality and i believe that racism and partiality is the same is is on the same trajectory is the same influences us the same way that lust does that really any sin does, right? Um, can we ever really be free of lust? Now I might ask you, are you lusting right now? And you could say, No, I'm not, and that'd be true. But is there lust in your heart? You would probably say, if you're if you're aware of what lust is, and you're aware of your own heart, and you're a you're a man. I'm not speaking for women. You would say, Yes. There's lust in my heart, and so what do you have to do? You have to constantly fight lust. Well, I think the sin of partiality or racism is no different. Am I a racist right now? No, I I don't think I am, and I don't I'm not acting that way. But is there a tendency in my heart to sin um, by separating myself from people and judging others and, and showing partiality and, and maybe even some of that's based on race? Yes. For me, I'm speaking for me. I can't speak for everyone, but I don't see there would be any difference uh, between lust and and racism, um, m- m- uh, or or partiality. Over and over and over in Scripture, we we have examples of good people showing partiality and getting busted by the gospel, getting busted by the prophets, getting busted by Jesus, and um, and so I think that we can we can treat racism or partiality the same way. Um, now some people tell me, so so in therefore if if that's true, um, then I think partiality can infect um, human hearts, but it can also affect the systems that human hearts build. Now I realize a lot of people, they just think I'm I'm dancing on a slippery slope anytime, I say something like systemic injustice or systemic racism. And you're right, I am standing on a slippery slope, and there is strong um, uh, liberal and even Marxist ideology that's that's laced in, in, in some of that. And yet I can acknowledge some things that I think I can find in Scripture that are in line with that without falling that slippery slope. And for my brothers and sisters who are constantly warning me about that, that there's a slippery slope. And as soon as you let this talk into the church, you're, you're on the slippery slide to liberalism. Um, I just completely 100% disagree with you. And I think Jesus disagrees with you. I think Jesus crossed those imaginary lines or walked that slippery slope when he engaged with the woman at the well, when he told the, the story of the Good Samaritan. He crossed all those racial lines and didn't buy into it. And you're forgetting that on the right side of the hill is also a slippery slope. And Jesus walked that hill too, and he offended the Pharisees. He offended the right wingers. He offended those who were, in one sense, more moral than Jesus, more right than Jesus. They they thought they were. And so, um, I want to walk. I want to walk that line. And, um, and, uh, and so one of the things that I, that I kind of wanted to do is I got some emails and people, and some people were thinking, um, we didn't do this. You're, 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 you're saying we all made this system or we all voted for this system. And so, Um, we're all complicit in it. And so we all should act to, to push it back. Well, I disagree. Um, okay. And, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, if you're on the right side of the aisle politically, then you can look at clear left leaning policies or left created or liberal created policies. And you can point and you can say that is the problem. Um, the problem is, if you're on the left, there's also some things that they can point out and say that is the problem. Now, here's the pro- here, here's a problem. If you're on the right, very few people on the right actually acknowledge the problems that the right are adding to, and if you're on the left, very few people on the left are acknowledging the problems they've they've cri- contributed to or created, and they're not owning up to it either. And so um, it it really keeps us from coming together and really um, working to change the system. Um, On top of that, I know there's some of you that believe um, that the system isn't inherently um, racist or it isn't, plagued by racism, or you don't believe in institutional racism or systemic racism. Um, I'm not 100% sure what the left means by that and what the right is denying when they say that, but me, from my position of I'm trying to look at the Bible and trying to diagnose sin and then look at political systems, here's what I see. When the Declaration of Independence was written and signed. African Americans or black people were, you know, in the document, they were worth three-fifths of a white person, okay? Even though it said we're all, you know, we're all uh, created equal, right? And so there's some inherent racism in the document. The systems that we created had that same, um, r- had racism written into it. We know this. You could, the, a human being, a white human being could own a black human being forever. Now, let me just say it like this. If that, and we know through sla- all the way through slavery and all the stuff that's been that's been going on, and if you don't know your history, I, I beg you, if you want to know a Christian history of this and how the church has been complicit, get the book, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby because the church to our shame has been resistant the church as a whole has been resistant to um the plight of the black person from the really the very beginning now there's been ton, there's been people you know there's been um abolitionists and there's been um outspoken white individuals who've who've led the charge but they they were always in the minority always now here's my thing if the American system was racist from the beginning. When did it stop? When did it stop? And if you can tell me it stopped here, then if I show you one example past that, then then you're wrong, right? And so, and we all know, like if you're talking about gun reform, like owning guns, we always say things like, well, you can't legislate it. We know you can put up all the laws you want, but criminals will get guns no matter what. Well, obviously, can't we say the same thing about racism? You can even put anti-racism laws on the books, but if there's racists around, criminals around, there's still going to be racism. There could still be racism in the system, right? Um, And so that, that theoretically could happen. So I'm wanting to know, when did it stop? When did it stop? And um, I was reminded this week, and and you might say 1964, when we passed civil rights legis- legislation. Um, but I think you're going to see if, you know, way after that, that there were still um, racist judges and there were still racist juries and there were still still racist, and I'm saying this because racist banks, because banks were making decisions based on race. Um, there's, And I think you're going to see it in the system. And I, So what I'm saying is I think we can admit systemic racism without saying the whole system must go. In the same way, we can say I'm a Christian and I still have racist tendencies or, or partiality tendencies in my spirit that needs to be constantly repented of, constantly resisted, and I have to act according to my better nature, I have to act according to the righteousness of Christ over and over and over again. I have to choose right over and over and again. Well, I think we can, I mean, from my perspective, we could say the same thing about our system, that we always need to be pushing for equality. We always need to be fighting the sins of partiality. Now, for those um, on the more Republican side of things, I want to open your eyes to something that I actually was surprised that most most folks didn't know. Um, When our president comes out and says, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, speaking of uh, being tough on crime, when you hear um, law and order language coming from our president, And you see the the black community reacting very strongly to that, very passionately. They're they're triggered by those words. Um, Most of my white uh, Republican friends don't understand why those words trigger um, the black community. And they don't understand how those words actually, now this is going to sound very strange, carry there's an implicit meaning behind those words, or, or that that maybe white people don't know. Sometimes it's called dog whistling, where you know you blow a dog whistle and humans can't hear it, but the dogs can can hear it. And so some of those words that white Republicans can't hear what's said said behind it, but African Americans can. Now, in the same way that an African American or a liberal can say systemic racism and they all understand it, and and white Republicans freak out and resist it and go against it. Now, let me, I'm going to pull the curtain back just a little bit because my parents' generation, um, it's, of my parents' generation, uh, a lot of people that I talk to talk about uh, President Ronald Reagan as the greatest president. And um, little do they know that his presidential strategist, Lee Atwater, he gave a infamous interview um, in 1981 where he revealed the strategy behind the language that that their campaign uses. They were trying to reach, it was called the Southern Strategy, and they were trying to reach um, Southern Southern white folks, they were trying to win that vote. And here's what he says, and there's go, there's going to be some harsh language in this. And I'm, I'm only, you can find the full quote online. I'm going to give you what we really need to hear. This is what Lee Atwater says, I quote, you start out in 1954 by saying, nigger, nigger, nigger. By 1968, you can't say nigger that hurts you, that hurts you politically. It backfires. So you say stuff like uh, forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. And you're, you're getting so abstract. Now, you're talking about cutting taxes. And all these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. We want to cut we want to cut this is much more abstract than even the bussing thing. Uh and a hell of a lot more abstract than nigger nigger. <clears throat> now in that quote a Republican strategist for Ronald Reagan is admitting he's that he's admitting what 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 I would call, you know, implicit bias or what I would call in here racist, like ra- they, he, they know the sin of partiality. We know these policies and this stuff is going to hurt black people the most. We can't come out and say that because it's no longer politically correct to be racist. So we can't say the N-word over and over. So instead, and this is my language, we're dog whistling to the racists. We're dog whistling and we're saying cutting taxes. We're saying um, the war on drugs. And I'm going to go on into the future. We're saying the war on drugs. We're, we're dog whistling. We're saying um, strong on crime. We're saying uh, law and order. <clears throat> and, and behind that, they know these are going to hurt the African-American community. This is going to hurt the black community. And so... Wh- f- What do you call that? To me, that's still, that is, that's racist, even though you're not using racist language. And the problem is this has gotten embedded into much of the Republican Party and much of white America. So now we are quote unquote colorblind. And when our party or the party, the Republican Party, is saying all those things, oh, it's just economic, oh, it's just tax cuts, oh, it's just the war on this, oh, oh, it's just being tough on crime. We have no connection in our minds to how that's going to negatively affect the black community, though our leaders do know, and they're not saying it. Now, that infuriates me. There's been a lot of, and then some people again in my podcast say, Justin, the left's policies are are hurting the black community, the rights aren't. Okay, that's a myopic stance. I agree with you that the policies on the left have done terrible damage to the black community. <clears throat> um, let me just I'll just quote one thing. Um Thomas Sowell is an African-American economist. And here is one of his um, quotes. A hundred years after the legacy of slavery, most black children, that's 78% of black children, were raised in two-parent families in 1960. Okay, so this is before civil rights legislation, <clears throat> 78% of black children were being raised in two-parent families. I'll continue the quote. But 30 years after the liberal welfare state found the great majority of black children being raised by single-parent homes. And that's 66%. So 78% in 1960 were being raised by two-parent homes And by 1990, 66% were being raised by one-parent homes. And today, that number is at 80%. 80%. Now, Sowell will will come out and say, he'll make it very simple, and he'll say, the welfare state has done this, period, full stop. They've destroyed the African-American home. They've destroyed... The black um, home, and that has hamstrung uh, black people from the very beginning, and and um, and this is this basically he says this he he quotes this and he says if you pay people to not get married, they won't get married, and he's stating the 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 welfare policy that incentivizes um, a single mother, pays her more if she's single than if she has a a man in the home. Now, I know if you're on the right, you already know that, more than likely. You already can point to that. Fatherlessness is a great problem. The welfare state no doubt has contributed to it. But you might not be aware of how the quote-unquote war on drugs has affected fatherlessness in those black communities. And this one thought, you know, challenges me um, because I'm not I'm not really pro drugs. <laughs> I'm not pro drug legend. I you know, I don't I don't I'm not I don't I've never smoked marijuana. I'm not I'm not for it. Um, and so, you know, the war on drugs sounds good to me, but let's just think through it like this: what we were throwing men in prison for for long stretches of time, because there's all kinds of um, minimum requirements there that I do not think were just, if you get ca- caught with this amount of drugs, you automatically go to prison for this long. Republicans, again, put those laws in the books. This war on the dr- on drugs that we were, were throwing men in prison, taking the men out of their homes, out of the community for long stretches of time, years on end, destroying. You know we're at, we're contributing to the fatherlessness of this uh, of this group of people um, through the policies that Republicans uh, put on put on the books, right? Um, some of these other things like no-knock warrants, no-knock warrants, are really a Republican initiative that has that you know resulted in the death um, uh, of Brianna this this past month. So. Um, so I I am not saying that the left has, have all the answers. I'm, I can point and say, okay, that was a clear screw up. We, we know that, but I want us, I want Republicans and, and, in specific to look at their own house as well and see, oh, oh, Ben Shapiro, he doesn't talk about this. Oh, most of our governors, they're not talking about this. Oh, most of our senators, the Republican senators, they're not talking about the ways that we've been complicit or we've created or we've instigated or we've added to some of these issues. And I just want us I just want us to be have the humility to say that. Now I know that's asking a lot in this election cycle, okay? We are in an election season. Um, those on the right, Ben Shapiro and all those guys, they're not interested in giving a well-balanced take right now. They're not. They're instigate. They're interested in getting clicks. They're interested in making money, and they're interested in getting their guy in the office. Okay. And same with those on the left. I know it. Those on the left, same thing. They're um, using this moment for their own political purposes, and I and 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 they're you know. They're, they're saying black lives matter, and yet their policies are destroying black lives. And so I want us as the church, um, which is a political society, we are a polis, we are a people ruled under King Jesus. I want us to walk the line, really, to, to have a heart that's liberal like Jesus. I want us to, to figure out, okay, How can we solve some of these issues? Now, again, I don't think there's always going to be disparate outcomes. Disparities are always going to happen because people are unique and some people will want to work hard and some people will not want to work hard. But if there are laws and legislation that actually hinders people, we should be working for uh, reform. We should be working for justice because that's what we want we really do want equality we want equal opportunity for everyone we want justice for all we want we don't want the poor um, so just I mean it's just so it's just so obvious to me that if you are um, if you grow up in a two-parent home if you grow up in a good neighborhood if you have a decent school if you have some decent, role models that look like you in your neighborhood, you are going to be well-prepared for college, for a career, and beyond. But if you grow up in a one-parent home, if you grow up in substandard housing, if you grow up in a bad neighborhood that's going to be policed differently You're going to have more than likely have a bad attitude towards the cops, bad experience towards police officers. You're going to have, you're you're, more than likely the one parent is not that passionate about education. And so they're not going to be pushing you to go to school and to study your books and to put in the, the hard work and the effort. Maybe they're, maybe they're gone working, maybe not, but that person, can we really say that, that that's an equal opportunity Now, again, that person can work their self out and great things happen. But as a Christian, my heart goes out to that young person that's growing up in that family and to that mother or father, that single parent. And I want to say, what can we do to help that situation? What can we do? And so that's that's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm hoping for. um, That we can not just accept, if you vote Republican, not just accept the status quo. Do not Christians should not accept the president's language and the way the president, um, just the violent way that he speaks, the coarse way that he speaks, the offensive way that he speaks, the way he mocks people and makes fun of them. If you're a Republican and you're a Christian, you should condemn that. You should not condone that because maybe he's signing laws that you agree with, with in regards to abortion or in regards to tax cuts or or whatever. Um, we should still be able to to call a spade a spade and and condemn some of that behavior. And um, and we should also, as a Republican, uh, we should still be able to say black lives matter from a biblical position, not from the ideological position of an organization that's hijacked that statement. Um, the black lives matter quote unquote movement is much larger, larger than the organization. And yes, I do believe the organization should be resisted and we should not give money to them. And, and they have non-Christian, uh, motivations, foundations, and goals. um, but we should be able to stand with other, other Christians and say black lives matter um, without worrying um, that if some, that somebody's going to claim that somehow we're Marxist by, by, by saying that. So I know I'm rambling a little bit. Um, one other illustration for those of you who, who struggle to see how we should be involved in... Um, fighting for equality and for justice for all. Um, if you're on the right, again, if you're a Republican, most likely you are, and you're a Christian, you, you should be strong, strongly uh, pro-life. Um, you should be against abortion. And um, for those that say, we all know, no one comes to me and says, Justin, just preach the gospel when it comes to abortion. You want me to preach the gospel and condemn abortion and we want to rally and we want to defund planned parenthood and we want to go march when there's marches and we want legislation that we want preaching and action or we want we want heart level change in the people and we want the system of the abortion system destroyed right um, and so the same thing when it, when it comes to the issue of of racism or partiality. I want to preach the gospel that destroys it in the human heart, but I also want to fight against any systems that are keeping it in place, any systems that maybe have inherently um, any anything that it, that shows partiality within the system that 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 hurts, blacks at a greater weight at a greater um, rate than her, than hurts whites or any other race. I'm just using uh, black and white for this. So I know I'm kind of all over the place. Um, maybe I said some things that were helpful. I I really um, hope that I did. Oh, one one other thing is I'm just rambling on and on. Um there sin itself, remember, sin itself is personal and corporate. So sin can affect us in our hearts, but then it can also affect all, the whole, you know, the whole body of Christ, right? Um, and so sin in itself is a systemic issue. It's it's a personal issue, but it's also a systemic issue that we're born sinners that Adam's sin has been passed down for us. So there's a systems problem in there. Now, thankfully, through Jesus Christ, he became our new head, our new corporate head. And basically, we get we get his righteousness and we get grafted into the new system. But I don't want us to forget that sin is more than, it affects more than just individuals. It, it affects missional communities. It affects churches. It affects nations. It affects the entire human race. And so... And it affects really everything that we build. So we, we of course, need to repent of our personal racism and our personal partiality and our personal lust, but we also need to set up a just society and push back against unjust systems, uh, systems that show partiality, systems that <clears throat> are lustful, systems that are uh, promoting murder and death and, and all of these things. And so, um, again, I hope I am... Maybe I was helpful, uh, maybe not. I-, I do want you to know your emails, your messages. Um, some of you just encouraged me for speaking up on these issues. And um, and some of you thought I was off and you had some things to, sh- to say to me. And so um, I- I- I'm-, I'm open to that because, again, I don't know everything. I am not a quote-unquote expert on these issues. Um, I just want to keep having this conversation and maybe keep opening our eyes to some things so that we can um, fight the sin of partiality and in our city. Like, our goal is to renew the city. That means if there's systems of injustice in our city, we want to push back those systems. We want, you know, we want to figure, what can we do to improve the the welfare system in our city? What can we do to improve the adoption system in our city? What can we do to improve... Um, you know, the education system in our city. Um, these are complicated issues, but I think as Christians, we need to be active. We need to be and in, in invested in, um, in fighting for justice and fighting for uh, the equal opportunity for everyone in our society. And of course, we want to pay specific attention towards the weak, towards the poor, towards the marginalized. Where do we get that? From God Himself, that God's eyes are on the meek. God's eyes are on the weak. God's eyes are on the poor. God's eyes are on the marginalized. We see this all the way through Scripture, and so, in a situation like this where we're very polarized, you know, I I just think that we, if we're if we're if we're siding with if we're we want to defend the weak, we want to defend um, the poor, uh, we want to defend the marginalized, and so that's my heart. And so, guys, I I pray that maybe this helped a little bit. And uh, if you've got thoughts or questions or concerns, please go ahead and email me those Justin Dean at sacredcitychurch.com. I love you guys. God bless you. I will talk to you later.